A connected world that's leaving so many feeling disconnected is counterintuitive and troublesome. Yet it's humanity's new reality, and this new reality is impacting the next generation at an alarming rate. 73% of Gen Z reported feeling alone, either sometimes or always, the highest level of any generation. That's an excerpt from a Psychology Today article, sort of on the state of Gen Z. And if you're not familiar, Gen Z is all of these guys and girls are students, and it's basically 10-year-old to young professionals, 25, 26-year-old. It's the generation that follows millennial. Tough act to follow, by the way. (laughs) Said no one ever. (laughs) And even if you're not in Gen Z, You might have heard in May that the United States Surgeon General declared that America was was in a new epidemic. We were in an epidemic of loneliness. And in that report also contained data that said lacking human connection can increase the risk of premature death at the same rate as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And we can talk at agnosium about, well, what's causing this? And it must have to do with social media and Netflix and streaming and iPhones and the internet, always available. And I, and I certainly don't want to suggest that those things don't sort of exacerbate the issue, but I don't think they're actually the issue. Rather, I think the issue is that at the core, we desperately desire to belong. Our brains crave connectivity in the same way that our stomachs crave food and just like our physical bodies need certain nutrients so that we can function as we were intended, our brain also needs connectivity so it can function as it is intended. And it makes perfect sense when you think about the creator of the mind. It says in Psalm 68, 6, that God places the lonely in family. The very core of God is relational in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he has created us for relationships. And I think Jesus absolutely knew this, and it's why he patterned so much of his ministry and really the church around creating a culture of belonging. This morning, we're, we're gonna look at Luke 5, 27 through 32, and I just wanna give you sort of a forewarning. It's gonna look a little different. I'm gonna speak just a, a, a little bit, and then Trace is gonna come up and sort of help us apply this, right, and help us move forward, and what does it look like as a church to create a culture of belonging? And so, if you will, let's read Luke 5, 27 through 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So let's, let's set the scene real quick, because the, the first thing that we read in verse 27 is after this, which should lead us to ask the question, well, what happened before this? Well, before this passage, we find Jesus about to do one of our favorite vacation Bible school story, the one where the real tenacious friends 
try and get their buddy and audience with Jesus to be healed, but the front door is not really an option at all, and so in the name of the Lord, they commit a little bit of property damage, and they bust a hole through this roof, and they lower their friend down and plop him down right in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, heals him, and tells him to get up and walk. And so that's what has happened right before where we are in verse 27. Verse 27 says that Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax collector booth. And I don't entirely know, but it seems like Jesus steps outside and something is drawing him towards a seemingly inconsequential, dismissible tax collector booth. And and, and put your feet in, in Levi's shoes. Sandals? Probably sandals. Put your feet in Levi's sandals. And it was, never, it was never a good day to be a tax collector, right? And, and what do you know about tax collectors? They were often crooked. They were known for sort of skimming a little bit off the top of your tax bill to pocket themselves. And, and not only that, but also in this part of the world, tax collectors were members of the community. Levi's a member of the Jewish community, therefore collecting taxes from other Jews for the unpopular Roman government. And then on this particular day, you imagine as as Levi sat here at his tax collector booth that he couldn't help but feel sort of an energy in the streets. It seemed like there would have been a little bit of a buzz happening outside his tax collector booth. It says in verse 17 that people came from all over Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem to catch a glimpse of this Jesus guy And yet, amongst the buzz and the stir of the city, Levi is stuck. He's stuck on the outside, wondering what is happening on the inside. And as Jesus begins to approach Levi, you wonder what Levi thought. I mean, no one came up to a tax collector booth for small talk. It wasn't the place you went to talk about the game or to talk about the weather, right? No one wanted to go and speak with a tax collector. And so as Jesus makes his way closer and closer towards his booth, did Levi start to wonder, what is he doing? Is he going to come and lecture me on the Mosaic Law? Is he going to come and shame me for my crooked tax collector ways? Is he going to come and argue with me like I maybe just overheard him arguing with the Pharisees in that house where the dude was healed, why is the man that is running around town claiming to be the Messiah, why is he coming towards me, a tax collector? And notice what Jesus says. Follow me. Follow me. In two words, Jesus radically reshapes Levi's life. In two words, Levi went from a place of wandering from the outside to the inside, to a place of belonging. And notice his response in verse 29. It says, excuse me. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So Levi's response to belonging is then to invite everyone from the outside to get a taste of the inside. And it's almost humorous. Because in the text, as as you're reading alongside me, we've only noticed two words exchanged 
between Jesus and Levi, right? There hasn't been any sort of signed contract. Jesus didn't sort of take him through a doctrinal alignment quiz. He didn't present him with a vision strategy. He didn't even ask Levi what his commitment level is. All we know is that Jesus saw a man hungry to belong and invited him to follow. And this bothered some people. Look at verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, it bothered, it bothered those who belonged. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they belonged to a sect. They belonged to a sect that said, hey, you can be part of us, but first you have to believe all these things. You have to do these things. You have to cross your T's, dot your I's. You have to clean up and prove yourself worthy of belonging. And then, and only then, you can be part of us. Belong, excuse me, belief has to come before belong. That's the way it's done, Jesus. And that's the way that the church has approached things for many, many years. And I, of course, mean the church at large, not particularly here in our context. And honestly, that strategy of belief then belong, it works. It works at least so long as the church is in the epicenter of culture and moral majority. But, but over the last 20, 30 years, the church, as you know probably, has moved from the epicenter of culture further and further and further out towards the margins of society. And therefore, we're left with a new dilemma requiring a new strategy. Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, writes in his book, How to Reach the West Again, which is a fantastic little book resource that I think you can find for free online. But he says this, past evangelistic strategies assumed that nearly everyone held a shared set of beliefs about a sacred order, that there was a God, an afterlife, a standard of moral truth, and a sense of sin. We might call these religious dots that evangelists could assume in their hearers and evangelism was simply connecting the dots that listeners already possessed in order to prove the truth of the gospel. You see, for, for decades as a church, we have been able to say, okay, what we wanna do on Next Gen Sunday is we wanna rally together and we wanna make sure that every kid and every student has the dots connected in their minds and their hearts. But if Tim Keller is right, and, and I'm inclined to think he is, then we are living in a far different and new reality and therefore requiring a new strategy. And the new reality is simply, there are no religious dots to connect anymore. And we are dealing with the loneliest generation that humanity has ever known. And lucky for us, the reality that we're facing is eerily similar to the reality of Luke 5. And so really, we don't need a new strategy at all. We just need to return to the strategy of Jesus. We need to return to a strategy that says create a culture of belonging and invite men and women and people to follow after Jesus. It's what Jesus does here in Luke 5. He goes from a place of belonging to then teaching. The pattern of so much of Jesus' ministry is foster a culture of belonging and teach people how to follow.
Now, I, I wanna be really clear, because if you don't hear this, you're gonna be mad at me. I know you. This does not mean that Jesus, nor should we, shy away from conviction or belief, and I will say that we cannot afford to water down truth in the name of belonging. That's not the answer here, and if you're, if you're hearing that, you're misunderstanding me, and I'd love to, to chat further with you. I'm not even suggesting that belonging is more significant than truth. I, d- I don't think it is. All I'm doing is trying to help us observe in Scripture which one came first, and it makes a lot of sense because when people feel like they belong, when people feel like they have a place, the whole, as Levi did, left everything and followed, comes a lot more natural. And here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of belonging to Christ. Look at verse 31 and 32. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The beauty of belonging to Jesus is that it's an invitation for all. It's an invitation for anyone who is sick of not knowing where they belong, sick of life on the outside, wondering what it's like on the inside, welcome. Sick of a life that is marked by shame and past sins is welcome. Sick of a life that doesn't know what to believe and is just caught up in the storm of culture, welcome. Sick of a life that doesn't know anything else but pain, welcome. Jesus came to call and to welcome and to bring belonging to the outcasts, to the fringes, and everywhere in between. He came to call those stuck behind a tax collector booth that no one else was ever going to call. Jesus came to call them. And and here's the invitation of this morning that the call to repent and to believe is still available today for you just as much as it was for Levi thousands and thousands of years ago. And ultimately, there is no one that is too sick, too broken, too damaged to accept and to hear the call of Jesus to repent and follow. And what does repent mean? It's exactly what Levi did, left everything and followed him. I'm not saying that you actually have to leave your job like Levi did to follow after Jesus, but repent simply means you stop going in the direction you were going and you turn around and you follow something different. And in this case, you get to follow Jesus. And so if you've never accepted that call, if you've never accepted the call from Jesus to follow, then we would love to have a conversation with you after Trace dismisses us and helps us apply this in that back room just behind you. You can't miss it. And so before, as I mentioned, Trace comes up and and really helps us sort of land this in our particular context, we want to just give you a a little bit of space for the Spirit of God to minister to you, a, a little bit of space to reflect. Because here's the reality. We will not create a culture of belonging until we belong ourselves. We can't create a culture that we're unwilling to participate in. And just a couple days ago, as Trace was telling me that that he had this idea for a a song to to kind of guide us through this reflection, and, and so I looked up the origins, it's an older song, and in 1834, this song came from a lady named Elizabeth Elliot. And she actually sat alone one night by herself in her home where her whole family was out at a church fundraiser. 
And by herself, overwhelmed with feelings of inadequacy and worthlessness, she pinned the words, just as I am. Without one plea, thy blood shed for me. And so as, as we get ready to just spend a minute or two reflecting, all of us, no matter how long we've been following Christ, are faced with some sort of inadequacy. I believe that there's something in all of us that makes it feel like maybe we shouldn't belong. And you know, for Levi, it was his tax collector booth. That tax collector booth was the inadequacy that he thought would forever stand between him and a guy like Jesus. And all of us have a tax collector booth. All of us have something that we think stands in the way of us following Jesus, stands in the way of us truly belonging. And so what I want you to do, and, and this might sound a, a little different for some of you, but, but I simply want you to look at this tax collector booth and then picture that tax collector booth is whatever you feel like makes you inadequate. And then I invite you, this is where this might be a little different for you. Close your eyes and once again, put yourself in Levi's shoes and, and play this scene in your head. The tax collector booth, that's your inadequacy. Jesus is walking towards it. Whatever makes you feel like you're not worthy of belonging and he looks at it and he looks back at you and he says, follow me just as you are. song and the reminder that there was a point in time in every one of our lives where we did not belong to Jesus. And there was nothing 
that you or I had to do to clean ourselves up, to come to him just as we were. And there he was welcoming us in, reminding us that we belong. And we as a church now have the opportunity and the responsibility to do that for others. And the reality is this, that we've all had times where we've experienced walking into a place where we didn't feel like we belonged or like we didn't feel like we were welcome. For me, as I think back over my life, one of the, one of the places where I felt like I belonged the least was actually at one job that I had where I was at a church that was older and it, the, a lot of the people were, were passing away because again, it was an older church and a larger church in the area said, hey, we want to partner with you to reach this part of Dallas. And so we became a campus of a larger church and over the course of a few years of me being there, yeah, there were polite smiles and there were highs and they were welcome, but I never got away from the feeling like I was just kind of a tag along, like a package deal with a building so they could actually reach in this part of Dallas, right? It was always subtle. There's these little things that happen that communicate to someone whether or not you are actually welcoming them in or not. We've all experienced that. We've also all experienced that time where we walk in somewhere and instantly we feel like we belong. Maybe it was a friend's house. Maybe it was the first time you walked into uh, the person you were dating's house. It eventually became your in-laws and they were just welcoming you with cookies or something like that. I don't know. That didn't happen for me. I still love my in-laws though. But the reality is this, right? There, we all have these times where we experienced being welcomed in. For me, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about the first time that I ever came here on a Wednesday night. I came in, in, you know, good old fashioned Christian jargon in view of a call. Uh, and so I came and I preached on a Wednesday night, the first time we ever had our Wednesday night worship service. And it was awesome. Immediately, I felt welcomed in this place by our students, by the other staff members. And so I got up and I preached and I walked off stage and I was hanging out for a little bit. And then Matt Kirby walks up to me and he goes, hey man, it was so great having you. You can go home now. And I was like, hey, I have no idea if y'all are going to choose me or not. And I've had such a great time getting to know these people. I just want to hang out in case I never see them again, right? I felt instantly welcomed here as a part of Heights students. And again, you can think through your own life of places where you felt welcomed and not welcome. And, and it's always subtle. But as Pierce said, if we're going to be people who follow Jesus, follow the way of Jesus, then we have to take it seriously, creating a culture of belonging. And so how do we actually do that? As, we, as I was thinking about that and praying about it, I felt led to Romans 12. And inside of Romans 12, Paul gives this treatise on Christian ethics, right? Verses 9 through 21, the end of the chapter, it's all about how Christians should interact with the world around them and with other believers. And there's a lot of great stuff in there, but I don't have time to read all of it. So I just want to point out these two verses in particular. Romans 12, 13 says this, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. Verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
And those are just two of, of a lot of different commands that Paul gives us and how we should interact and how we should treat people. But the theme of hospitality is woven throughout the entirety of the Bible. And I know that this place is a hospitable place because I've been in a lot of your homes, especially for students. In the summer, we do this awesome thing called poolside Bible studies where uh, people in our church allow us to come in and mess up their backyard and their pool, uh, go hang out out there. And so it's awesome, right? I know that there's a lot of y'all that are hospitable in the way that you treat your homes. But don't leave your hospitality at home. What would it look like for us as a church to embrace this idea of hospitality? Because again, like I said, it's woven throughout all of scripture. Paul in 1 Timothy talks about this being a prime virtue of a man qualified to lead and, and a woman who's worthy of honor, right? Like this is woven into what it means to be a Christian, this idea of creating a place of belonging. And so how do we do that? When Pierce and I were planning our message, we thought about preaching just on Mary and Martha, right? And just kind of preaching on it to redeem Martha because she always winds up being the bad guy in that story because heaven forbid she tried to make the house clean and have a nice meal, right? <laughs> and so hospitality is more than just a smile, right? It's more than just a passing by and a, hey, what's up? Good to see you, glad you're here today. Right? You can get that in a grocery store, right? No, Christian hospitality, this hospitality that Paul is talking about is more, what would it look like for us to be a Mary here, right? She welcomes Jesus in and gives, gives her, uh, him the gift of her presence, right? Like that's the first thing that she does. She's not worried about everything else. She just simply goes and sits with Jesus. What would it look like for us to embrace that with people who are walking in here for the first time, especially students and kids and toddlers? What would it look like for us to give them the gift of our presence, to listen before we talk, to ask questions that help them feel like we see them and see what's going on in their lives? We can also be a Martha. It's not enough to just simply say hi to someone. What would it look like for you to, to see someone on a Sunday morning, you've seen them sitting next to you in your section for a couple of weeks in a row. You're like, I've never met that person before. Let me just go say hi and see like, hey, do you have lunch plans today? Like, to be a Martha would be to invite them outside of these four walls and to create a welcoming space for them, right? That's what Martha was doing it at their home was trying to create a welcoming space for them. And as a church, we want to do that for the next generation. And so as a matter of fact, we had the opportunity to welcome a brand new group of students into our student ministry this morning. And so if you're in seventh grade, would you do me a favor? Would you go ahead and make your way on up here? If you're in seventh grade. Come on up, come on up. Y'all can go ahead and stand right here. See, every single year we get an opportunity to pray over our seniors and commission them out as they go. But every single year as we send out a senior class, we get the chance to welcome a seventh grade class. And not only was it their first time down in the brick for student ministry, but for a lot of them, it was their first time in this room. And so we as a church, we wanna say, we love you. And we are glad that you're here. And church, would you mind praying with me for just a second over these seventh graders? Let's pray. God, we thank you for these seventh graders and for all that you have in store for them. 
for everywhere that you will lead them and all that you will do in their lives. God, would we always be a church that lets them know that they, that they are welcome here. There's nothing that they have to do to belong because God, we had to do nothing to belong to you other than to believe in who you were. And so Heights Church, let us be a church that welcomes these seventh graders and the generations to follow over and over. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Seventh graders, you are loved by your church. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat really quick. It's little things, like y'all applauding for them, that help them know that, that they are loved and they are seen by their church. So thank you for praying with them or over them with me, because the reality is this, is that where the next generation finds belonging determines what they will believe and who they will become. It's been like that for a while, and we have the opportunity to make sure that they know that they belong. And just like Pierce said, it's not an either or when it comes to belonging or believing. As a matter of fact, is what many of y'all have learned uh, the hard way, just like I have, is life is filled with tensions, right? There's the tension of we need to make sure that they know what to believe, but there's also the tension of we gotta make sure that they belong. And what if we were a church that was committed to both? What if we were a church that understood that mere belief Mere mental ascent into a list of doctrines isn't what Jesus died for. And what if we also understood that simply belonging in a group wasn't what Jesus died for either? What if we took seriously what, what Paul says in Romans 8, 29? He says this, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that, the first, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Becoming like Jesus has always been the goal. Like literally, God, is, what Paul is saying there is God foreknew you and predestined you that you might be conformed to the image of God. It was nothing that you or I did except for his grace. And we don't know who else he has done that for. So we need to welcome everyone in gladly while holding that tension. Because if we will be committed to being a church that is committed to belonging, creating that sense of belonging, then what we'll find is that people will actually listen to what we have to say. Because cliches are a cliche for a reason because they're true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Like the reality is this, is that if we will create a place where people, not just students, not just kids, not just toddlers in preschool, if everybody who walked in these doors could feel like they belonged here, then we would be able to share the life-changing truth of the hope of glory that is Jesus Christ and him, died, him killed on the cross and resurrected from the grave three days later. If we will create a church if we will create a church that allows people to, to feel like they belong, then we can share the message of the gospel. Why? In order that we might, yeah, in order that we might see men and women be conformed to the image of Jesus, becoming like Jesus has always been the goal. 
So how can you partner with us? Because we need you to partner with us, especially as we're thinking about the next generation. And as Gary mentioned, it takes over 200 volunteers every Sunday to pull off what we do in student and kids and in preschool. So how can you be a part of that? What is it that you can do to take the next step to help us create this culture of belonging? First and foremost, you can pray. Pray that everyone who walks in this church would, would sense that they belong just as they are, just as you and I once were as well. You can join by praying for us for our next-gen programs and events that happen throughout the year. Pray for those who are already involved, but also those who are yet to come. Our students have absolutely caught a, a vision for evangelism. And every single week, there are new people here who need to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he has done for them. So would you please join with us in praying for that? but you can also help us create a culture of belonging by actually serving in one of those areas. You could serve in students. You could serve in kids. You could serve in preschool. But we also need this in every area of our church. We have an entire ministry dedicated to this called Guest Connections. They need help. Your life group is the perfect place to make sure that there are people who feel this burden and this commitment to making people feel like they belong in their life group as well. Wherever you're already involved in our church, if we will be committed to this, we will see God do something amazing. Because honestly, that's all we've ever tried to do in our student ministry. And God is doing amazing things in the lives of our students simply because we want you to know, students, that what? We're better because you're here. Would you pray with me this morning? And then I'll give us a little instruction as we walk out. God, we thank you for today. And we thank you for the truth of who Jesus is and the way that he lived on this earth and made everyone know that they were welcome with him before he challenged them to change their beliefs and become more like him. And so God, we just lift up this church and we just ask, would we be a church committed to creating a culture of belonging for our next generation? Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen.